0: morning everybody my name is Jacob and I am the preaching minister here at the Tri-Valley Church of Christ we're going to get to be in here continuing on in our series called Forgiven Forgiver it's a series on forgiveness how about that Uh, Kent thank you for leading our thoughts around the table this morning I'm glad that you uh, included a Super Bowl reference in there for the fourth year in a row, I get up on Super Bowl Sunday and I look at my sermon and go, man, there are no Super Bowl references at all. <laughs> I completely forgot that it's a Super Bowl. Uh, I'm, I'm not really tuned into professional sports a lot of the time, so uh, maybe I, I'm glad that you covered that. So I don't have to. I'd probably say something like, forgiveness is a slam dunk, and you would all roll your eyes. Tri-Valley Church of Christ, come for thee. Super Bowl references and stay for the rap music. It's a, it's a good day to be here. I'm glad you guys are with me. Um, going along with our sermon series in January and February, we've paired a psalm with each of the scriptures that we're going to study on Sunday mornings. And I want to encourage you guys to read this psalm throughout the week and then write a response prayer. That's something that a lot of us in the church have been doing. It's increased our, our, our time in the Word, our prayer vocabulary, our relationship with God. You just read what God is saying to you through the Word, and then you write something back. You can do this in a journal with a pen or a pencil, or you can do this digitally. But we encourage you guys to do this. And the psalm this week, I want to tell you now because I won't tell you later, is uh, Psalm 25 verses 1 through 11. So just go to Psalm 25. It's all about trusting in the Lord and his trustworthiness, his power and his strength. Um, so write that one down and spend some time in the word this week. Um, yeah. I want to start this morning wi- by reading a statement uh, about an incident that happened. And the statement goes like this. Someone in the church has caused you grief. Someone in our church has completely disregarded the teachings of Jesus that Christians are called to live by. They have rejected or ignored attempts by church leaders to work with them toward correcting their behavior. This person has shamed themselves and the church, they've stirred up trouble in the congregation, and then they left in a huff. This person has been out of contact with the church for a while now, But I want you, their brothers and sisters in Christ, to forgive them. I want you to receive this person, not just into the worship assembly, but into a restored relationship with each of you personally. This is the message that Paul gives to the Corinthian church. This is what the Apostle Paul invites Corinthian Christians to do in the passage that we're gonna take a look at this morning. Now, when I read that statement, you might have thought, he's talking about Tri-Valley. This is us, this is our church. Well, actually, I wasn't. But in a way, maybe I was. That's something I wanna invite you into this morning. As we listen to this incident, this scenario, this thing that happened in the Corinthian church that we'll read about in the New Testament this morning, I want you to try to find our story in their story. Um, This is uh, something we're going to continue to challenge ourselves to do in this series. We're going to practice forgiveness as forgiven forgivers. And this incident that we're going to look at this morning uh, happens about 25 years after the resurrection of Jesus. This is between Paul and Paul and the church in Corinth, right in the middle of the first century. And hopefully it will give us an idea of what we are supposed to do as a church, and also what we are supposed to do as individual members of this body of Christ. So if you have your Bible, I want you to open to the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians. We're going to do just a short reading from chapter 2 in there a little bit later. But before we get there, I want to kind of give you a little bit of a recap of what's happened so far, give you an update so you know what's been going on between the relationship of Paul and the church in Corinth. So if you read the book of Acts, it tells us that there is, uh, the church in Corinth is a church that Paul started in the city of Corinth. That's why it's called 1 Corinthians. He writes to the people of Corinth, the Corinthians. Paul taught them about Jesus, the resurrected Messiah, and he raised up leaders within the church, people with names like Aquila, Priscilla, Justice and Crispus. And Paul stayed with this church for about a year and a half. And then he continued on to another city because Paul was a missionary. He planted churches and then he would go someplace else. But Paul was able to stay in touch with this church. He was able to keep uh, up to date about what was going on with them through letters that they wrote back and forth or a report that someone would bring to Paul. Like if he was in a city like Ephesus and somebody was traveling there for business, they would say, hey, here's what's going on with the church in Corinth. And what we find out is that the report that Paul gets back is that the church is not doing so well. Things in Corinth are not going great. This church was struggling over what it meant to be a diverse church, as were a lot of the New Testament churches, because now you have Jews and Gentiles in the same community calling each other brothers and sisters. What does that mean? you got rich people becoming Christians. you got poor people becoming Christians, and they're breaking bread and fellowshipping together. That's going to cause some tension. People who are free folks, people who are slaves, are now coming together as one. And they're struggling with what it means to be faithful in a world that didn't reward faithfulness to Christ. They're struggling with what it means to be these new creations in Christ. So, Paul gets out some parchment, and he gets out a pen, and he writes them a letter, and the cool thing is we have that letter. That is a letter that he wrote to the church, and we call it 1 Corinthians, because it's the first of two letters that we have from Paul uh, back and forth between the church. We know that there were other letters, but we don't have them, so we don't know exactly what they say. But in the letter, 1 Corinthians, it becomes very clear as you read it that Paul loves this church. He didn't just start this church and then move on to do another franchise and say, You guys are on your own. He worked with them. He built relationships with them. He cares about what happens with this church. He loves the church, but because of Paul's love for the church, he's not going to tiptoe around things that they're doing that don't honor the Lord. So if you read through 1 Corinthians, he's rebuking them in a lot of places. He rebukes them for doing things like idolizing celebrities, he rebukes them for suing each other in open court. He rebukes them for sexual immorality. There's even this one part where he calls this guy, he says to the church, hey, you need to kick this one guy out because he has been sleeping with his father's wife, and not only that, he's been bragging about it. He thinks that it's a good thing. You guys need to get rid of this guy. And we should pause there for a minute and ask ourselves, how does that fit in with what we've been talking about for these last five weeks? How is that being a forgiven Forgiver, What happened to 70 times 7? What happened to being like this God who forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin? Good question. Well, remember we said that forgiving someone or exercising forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean condoning or tolerating somebody's harmful behavior. And sometimes, forgiving even means creating some healthy boundaries that need to be put in place within a relationship. Uh, Dr. Stephen Marmer, who taught at the UCA Medical School, identifies three different types of forgiveness. Kind of nuancing forgiveness in this way maybe helps us understand what kind of forgiveness is going on in our lives or in this situation, too. He says the first type of forgiveness is called exoneration. This is the type of forgiveness where somebody does something that's completely an accident. They go over to your house, they spill their drink on your floor, and they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. Or if a child takes crayons and colors on your wall, like you're, oh, that's not great, but you can forgive that. There can be full forgiveness, and you can say, okay, you didn't know what you were doing, that's all right. The relationship is completely restored. That's exoneration. The second type of forgiveness that he identifies is called forbearance. This is the situation where maybe Somebody's done something wrong, and they'll own up to it, but maybe the apology is like a partial apology. They say, yeah, like, I'm, I'm sorry that you felt sad about this. Like, those kinds of apologies don't go so well, right? That's not really taking responsibility for it. Sometimes blame is even cast in this. Well, I'm sorry that this happened, but if you hadn't done this, I wouldn't have been forced to do what I did, so now you can see how I'm justified Okay, well, you can still choose to forgive that person, and maybe the kind of forgiveness is forbearance, where maybe the wrong hasn't been completely righted, but you're going to take that burden on yourself, and you're going to forgive, but maybe you want to proceed with caution in the relationship. If this person has not been a good friend, if not you know, being as honest as they maybe should have been, uh, forbearance may be the kind of forgiveness that you are experiencing there. And then the third kind of forgiveness is kind of a tricky kind He calls the third kind release. And this is the kind of forgiveness that often is healthy to do in a situation where the person has wronged you and takes no responsibility for it. Or even in situations where the person uh, doesn't know that they've wronged you, or doesn't think that what they've done is wrong. Uh, You could attribute uh, situations of abuse or neglect or just outright betrayal that you might have experienced. Release uh, might be the kind of forgiveness that you're called to practice. And if you remember a few weeks ago, I chained myself to a water jug and said, hey, this is when you don't forgive someone, you're, you're keeping that hurt, you're holding on to it, you're still attaching yourself to that person. Release is the kind where you can forgive and then maybe keep some of those boundaries that need to happen. If We think back to the situation that Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians, release might be the kind of situation, the kind of forgiveness that is called for in this situation. This person did something wrong. It's harming themselves. It's harming the person they're involved in. It's also harming the church community. Maybe what needs to happen is separation. But anyway, we don't know all of the details of what happened with Paul and the church in Corinth. We wish we could. We know some things. We actually know a lot of things, but there's certain things that we can't know. And that's what happens when you read somebody else's mail. I'm telling Lisa all the time, like the most frustrating part of reading other people's mail is you never get the full story. It's juicy and it's great, but you never get the full story. Uh, It's tricky. Well, it seems what we do know is that Paul decides he's going to go and visit the church In Corinth, he hears about these things that are happening. He writes them this letter, and then he goes and he pays them a visit. But what we can gather is that the visit does not go very well. He shows up and continues his tone that he has in this letter, like, I love you guys, but you need to change some things. And instead of the church saying, Yeah, we're going to change some things, they say, Who do you think you are anyway? Maybe not the whole church, but there's a person or there's a camp that says to Paul, You haven't been here for a while. Who do you think you are coming in telling us what we need to do? We're doing fine on our own. And by the way, you're not a very good speaker. There have been other people who have come in here, and they're funny, and they're clever, and they're eloquent. You were never very good at that. And hey, since you're here and you're telling us what to do, why don't you show some credentials? Like, who can vouch for you and say that you have any kind of authority among us anyway? Ouch. That's not what you want to hear With a church that you started, a church that you love. So Paul leaves. He refers to this visit as the painful visit. And after this visit is over, he writes them uh, another letter. And this is another letter that we don't have, but he refers to this in his other letters that we do have. Um, But he writes them and he tells them about how he was anguished and, and pained. And what seems to have happened best we can tell, they responded, and they wrote back to him, and they said, we're sorry, and we still want to have a good relationship with you. We want to restore the relationship that we have with you, Paul. So that's uh, what happens. Paul writes them a letter saying, I accept your your apology. There's forgiveness. We can still have this relationship that we, we had before, and now This is the letter that we're going to read this morning. The letter he writes them saying, I still love you, the relationship is restored, is what we call 2 Corinthians. So I want us to read just a little segment out of 2 Corinthians. So go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and I'll start reading in verse 5. Paul says this, if anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent. Not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now, instead you ought to what does it say? Forgive Forgive and comfort him, so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. Another reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I also And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. See what I mean? The problem with reading other people's mail. You want to know so much about what's going on in this situation. You hear Paul say, hey, this this person was punished severely, and you want to know, what did he do? Who is this person that we're talking about? Who is the him in this situation? I want you to forgive him, and I want you to comfort him, but who is him? We don't know. I wish I could tell you, but I don't know exactly who the him is. People have studied this for years, and they think they might know. Some people think that the him that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 2 is the same guy in 1 Corinthians 5 that got kicked out of the church for sexual immorality. A lot of people have written about that and said, yeah, this makes a lot of sense why this relationship, this guy was kicked out of the church, but now it's time to receive him back. Some people think so. I'm not entirely convinced. I think there's some reasons why that doesn't exactly fit, but maybe it could be, or a relationship similar to that. Some people think... It was the guy who took his fellow Christian to court and tried to sue him out in public. And we, we, you know, we can speculate and say maybe that was it too. You know, receive this person back. They've been punished. They've been rebuked, but bring them back into the community. Some people think that it might be the, the ringleader of the We Hate Paul Club, like I talked about earlier. The, the fact is we don't know. We can't be sure of who it is. But we see that there was harm done, and it grieved Paul. And it grieved the entire church as well. There was some kind of (laughs) punishment. It was on the next page. There was a punishment that was inflicted for the wrong that was done. And Paul says that that's sufficient. But now Paul says it's time to receive this person back. They know what he did. Paul knows what he did. We don't know exactly. But he's saying receive this person back. Restore them back to the community. Become forgiven forgivers. And if you know the story about how they rejected Paul, he came and said, hey, let me love you again. Let me teach you again. Let me guide you and be your your teacher and your apostle and your speaker. And they go, wait, we don't like you. All that pain that he experienced with their rejection, all of his frustrations with the church, throughout all of that, Paul seems like his main concern was unity in this church. He was always concerned about them being whole. He cared about the relationships they had with one another as forgiven forgivers, as new creations in Christ. seems like Paul was always willing to say, I care more about the health of this church than about any personal vendetta that I might be tempted to have. Now at this point, it's good for us to pause and remember what I said at the beginning. This is a story about a church that existed hundreds of years ago in a real time, in a real place, in a real situation that happened. This is their story, but it's healthy for us to say, can we find our story in their story? Can we, like Paul, say, I care more about the health of this church than I care about my own personal preferences or than I care about a personal vendetta or a wrong that was done to me? I wish we had more time this morning. Most Sundays, I wish we had more time because when you dig into a story and you see how rich and valuable it is, I just want to read more of the Bible. I just want to tell more of this story. And if we had more time this morning, I would say, you know what we should do? Let's just read all of 2 Corinthians 1 through 7. Like the first seven chapters is this great love that Paul has for this church. And we really get to see the heart that he has. And while we're at it, while we're reading all seven chapters, and we're all very patient with it, and we're fine with it because it's a great story, we should just read all of 1 Corinthians and then all of 2 Corinthians and just get this this full story as much as we can about this relationship that Paul has with this church that he loves. And while we're at it, as we have all this time together, let's read the Gospels, too. Let's just read a whole story about Jesus. Let's read like all of Luke and all of Acts and just go, man... The church and the way it is comes directly from the heart of Jesus. And the things that Paul cares about, you can really tell he's not making this stuff up. He's getting it from the Lord. He learned this as he became a disciple of Jesus. He learned what it meant to forgive. He learned what it meant to live in community with others. Some of this stuff comes to mind as you read Paul and the forgiveness that he's willing not just to teach but to demonstrate. Remember that Jesus... That if somebody sins among you, if someone's just like way off base and they hurt the community, what are you supposed to do? Get rid of them? Or are you supposed to go to them? Go to that person and talk to them. Maybe point it out. Lovingly work toward their restoration. And what do you do if they don't listen? This is Matthew chapter 5, uh, 18, by the way. If they don't listen, do you give up on them? No. You take a couple people with you. You go and you talk to them. You say, hey, we care about you. We want to see if you'll listen. And then if they reject it, if they don't listen, do you give up on them? No. You bring it up before the church and you get everybody to scratch their beards and say like, hey, what can we do about this person? We love them, we want to restore them. You don't give up easily on people. You put in the effort. And then he says at some point, people are just gonna go their own way. And then kind of what happens to this guy who was caught in sexual immorality happens is you kind of need to let them figure things out. There comes a point but you don't give up easily on people. Or you might remember the teaching of Jesus where he describes the good shepherd who goes after the sheep. He's got this whole flock of sheep, but he goes after the one that's strayed away. He leaves the 99, he goes to the one, and it's out by itself, and he he says, oh, I'm going to bring you back. And he carries the sheep on his shoulders, and he brings him back and restores the sheep because that's what a good and loving shepherd does. Does the hard work. A lot of Christians know what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. You might, this might be a good verse for you, one that you've held on to a lot about being a new creation in Christ. If anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is what? Gone, and the new is come, and we're, this is great. But I want you to hear it this morning. Having heard the story about Paul and this journey that he made with this church. I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 5.17, some of the verses around it. I want you to listen again for the message of reconciliation that really comes through here. Uh, I've got it up on the screen too. So 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 16, Paul says, From now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... This is the magic verse. The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. But he goes on and he says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and he gave us the what? Say it. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them and he has committed us to us, the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And he goes on, and again, it's great. We should read the whole thing. It's awesome. It's, it's about how Christ made it so that we can be reconciled to God. That's our model for us but sometimes we stop there and we go yeah it's great to be reconciled to god it's about me and it's about god and through jesus and this is a great vertical relationship but the context of this verse is about horizontal relationships it's about what's going on in the church what's going on with the people who are at odds with each other he's like yes this is a reminder that we need to do this this is a model for this if we want to look like jesus we need to practice it out here We need to be reconciled to one another. We need to be forgiving as we have been forgiven. And so we're asking ourselves questions this morning. How does their story relate to our story? What does it tell us about ourselves? Sorry, my throat's a little dry, and I'm drinking a lot of water this morning, as you may have noticed. How can we talk about reconciliation in the church if we don't practice it in the church. If we don't do it, then it's just a concept that we say, yeah, that sounds good, that sounds nice, now let's move on. We have to live it out. He calls this our ministry of reconciliation. How is this ministry going to grow any legs if we don't forgive? Or if we don't give the people in our lives the chance to change, which we sometimes don't do. I think about the man who was kicked out of the church in Corinth. And uh, it's clearly stated as you read this that this was done to help him realize the error of his ways and to help him become restored to the church. They want to kick this guy out so that he comes banging on the door saying, like, no, 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 I was wrong. Let me back in. I've come to my senses. But we don't always see that in our modern context because that's not exactly what happens nowadays. Uh... In America today, church attendance and church membership in general are down. Uh, Also, there's a lot more churches than there were back then. If we kicked somebody out of the church to try to teach them a lesson and say, ah, you'll see, they probably wouldn't come back. They probably wouldn't change based on that kind of thing. They would probably go like, I'm mad at you guys. I'm going to go to the church down the street where nobody knows what I did, where it's easy to just kind of start over or reset or hide out. Paul's time, when he's in this relationship with the Corinthian church, that's the only church in Corinth. It's the only game in town. It was a safe haven. It's kind of like if you got kicked out of your own embassy in a war-torn country. These people decided like, oh yeah, you can go figure it out on your own if you want. This person was like, no, 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 no. I need to be with Christians. I need to be in fellowship. They would probably learn their lesson pretty quickly. And they would realize really fast. And so with that in mind... You see that even kicking this guy out of the church was not about being rid of him. It was a technique that was used to try to get this person back to restore them to the community. It was always about restoring the church. That's Paul's biggest concern. And so I wonder, as I listen to this passage this morning, how much effort do we put in to restoring relationships? And I wonder at the same time, is our modern situation preventing us from valuing relationships and from doing the hard work of reconciliation? Is it too easy for us to treat people like Dixie Cups that we have a use for, for a short time, and they're good, and they're valuable, and we appreciate them, but they're a dime a dozen, and it's easy for us to just be done with them? That's what we do. But it's not the way of Jesus. It's not what we're seeing here. Paul shows us the value of human relationships. He shows us the value of each individual within the church. You all do something. You all bring something. You all contribute something. You all matter. And it's what makes us the body of Christ. We can't lose that. I started this morning by saying that this story isn't about Tri-Valley, but that it also is about Tri-Valley. And so, I want to invite you to ask yourself this morning, is there somebody who isn't part of this church anymore because of something that you did or because of something that you didn't do? I want you to ask yourself this morning, is there somebody that you need to have a conversation with? Is there somebody that you would like to have a restored relationship with? I have a confession to make. And I think I've said this before, so it may not surprise you. Uh, When I decide what to preach on, it's not random. It's not like I go, this. We'll do this for a while. So forgiveness is not just like, ah, Jesus said it. We probably ought to talk about it. Uh, I've been part of this church for 10 years i 'm involved in this church. I, I, I observe things and relationships and attitudes and comments, and uh, I chose the Forgive and Forgiver series because I think this is something that we need. This is something that we let ourselves off the hook for too often and there 's a temptation as we go through this together to say. Yeah, I'm getting this. This is valuable. I'm learning to be more forgiving in my life. Like uh, the FedEx guy is always trampling in my flower beds, but I'm learning to not hate him in my heart. And I have a better attitude toward the FedEx guy. That's great for you and for FedEx. um, But what about the church? There's a reason I'm talking about this with the church. There's a reason Paul was writing letters to the church. They were read when everybody was together. Hey, what did Paul say? What did he have to say? He's hitting pretty hard today. They had to hear that. They needed to hear that. It's a ministry. It's a message of reconciliation. That's why we're talking about this. I want us to hear this. I want you to do it, but I also want us to do this. Uh, and I don't know exactly what that looks like for you. You know, you might be afraid that I'm going to start naming names. And, say, and Paul did this too. syndicate, <laughs> You guys need to talk. I'm tempted sometimes to do that, uh, but I'm not going to do that, because uh, I wouldn't want you to do that to me. But I would want you to challenge me if you see that in my life, and so I'm going to push a little bit. My, my goal this morning is not to make anybody feel guilty, but <laughs> on the other hand, if what I'm saying makes you feel convicted, I think that that's a healthy thing. I think uh, that is of God. At the end of 2 Corinthians in chapter 10, Paul talks about this. He says kind of the same thing. Like, uh, if this hurt you or if my words kind of made you feel convicted and that made you uncomfortable, I'm okay with that. Because God can use that. Paul says that godly sorrow brings repentance and it leads to salvation and it leaves no regrets. And I don't want us to be a church that has regrets. I want us to be a church that is unified, Amen. that loves each other that is full of God's spirit and ready to go wherever he wants to send us. And so I want to end where I began this morning by reading a statement about something that happened. Someone in the church has caused you grief. Someone in our church has completely disregarded the teachings of Jesus that Christians are called to live by. They rejected or ignored attempts by church leaders to work with them toward correcting their behavior This person shamed themselves and the church. They've stirred up trouble in the congregation, and they left in a huff. They've been out of contact for a while now, but I want you, their brothers and sisters in Christ, to forgive them, to receive this person not just into the worship assembly, but into a restored relationship with each of you personally. Let's pray. Lord, you love your church. My prayer this morning is for your church. I'm reminded of the words of Jesus in John 17, that the, the way that people will come to know him, the way that people will come to know the resurrected Son of God who gives life and brings salvation is by the way that the church loves each other. By the relationships that we have, by the ministry of reconciliation. So Lord, I pray for that this morning. I pray that you give us strength to do what needs to be done. I pray that you give us courage to have awkward and uncomfortable conversations. I pray that these conversations are done with love, with concern, with this, this genuine desire for unity that we see in Paul. God, Breathe your spirit in us. Change us in ways that we need to be changed. Convict us and change our hearts. We don't want to leave here the same people that we came as. When we pray your kingdom come and your will be done, help us to mean it. Help us to be willing to do whatever we need to do so that you get what you want. I'm so thankful for this church, Lord. It's been a huge blessing in my life. Help me to be a faithful member of this church and to love with the heart of Jesus. I pray this for my brothers and sisters this morning. We give all things to you. We say, have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody who agrees said, Amen.